0: And so, Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, and verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, it is our great privilege and honor today to bow once again and to thank you for who you are, the God of creation. And even sweeter to our soul as we sing amazing grace is to thank you for who you are, the God of redemption, the God of grace, the God of mercy and love, the God who is holy and just and righteous. And therefore, in order to save yourself a people so that all would not be lost to sin, you sent your only son. Into the world. And Lord Jesus you went to the cross. And you died. As a substitutionary sacrifice. For sinners. And then you arose from the grave. And ascended in victory. And are soon. We know not exactly when. To return. And this morning we are just here. To worship you and praise you. And thank you. And and bow before you. Even if it's just in a seated position, but or a standing position, but in our hearts, Lord, we bow in humility, humbled under the weight of the glory of your grace. And we ask you this morning to give each and every one that is in here, and that will listen later on, give them, oh God, at at your word, and this revelation of yourself in Scripture, would you grant us, to have eyes to see and ears to hear and the hearts softened to respond appropriately to what we see and what we hear. We pray that you would do a work in our hearts that is most needed. And we pray that it would be ultimately for your glory. That's what we seek. But that, will, that it will be for our good and that it will be for the good of this generation and future ones as well. We pray this in faith in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen. Grace be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The Apostle Paul is going to end this letter the exact same way that he started it off. Testifying of the grace of God. (laughs) I wonder this morning... If your heart is as full as mine thinking about that word. If it's not, there's a lot of reasons that that could be the case. Maybe you don't understand what the word grace means. I, for one, struggle to even speak about it. It is so amazing, as John Newton wrote in that song. What it means to us is that God has acted God has acted outside of us to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Namely, to save our souls from his eternal wrath. So when we talk about grace and when Paul prays and says, grace be with you. It means that in order for them to take the letter that he wrote them. So many years ago, or in order for you and I to take up the book of Galatians and read it, it wouldn't take you 10 minutes to read through this, these six chapters, give or take. But in order for you to take those words and have a spiritual inward apprehension of the truths contained there so that it has a lasting impact in your life, it's going to take grace. It's going to take grace. Grace. Because grace is God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. Before I get too carried away with that, let me turn our attention for just a minute as a thematic ending the way that we began. The way we started preaching through this series was we looked at the historical background. We looked at who is the Apostle Paul? Who are the recipients of the letter? We looked at what the major themes of the letter are. What's going on? Why does he write the letter? We need to do that in all of our Bible studies. We need to understand the text in its context, both scripturally, in other words, what other verses are around it, what what is the whole book saying, and we also need to understand it in its historical context, before we start to get to personal application. And so we did that in that first sermon. I don't want to recap everything in that historical context, but I do want to jump to the four major things that we mentioned in that first sermon that were at stake at at the time of this writing and see if we can't again be blessed and benefited from that. And then I want to close with the second part of the sermon, thinking about grace more pointedly. The first thing that was at stake when Paul picked up pen to write, the first thing that was at stake was the gospel. The gospel, beloved, is the good news from God. What makes it so good is because it's the good news concerning the grace of God. It's good news because it is telling a world of human beings that are rebels against their creator God. That God has acted on their behalf. While they were still in a rebellious state. So while we did not love him or serve him or thank him. He acted on our behalf. In grace, unmerited, unearned, favor, goodwill toward us because He wanted to. And because He was going to glorify Himself in His acting. And because we would get an eternal benefit from His actions. It's good news, isn't it? That we are in fact ruined sinners. That's the bad part. And that no amount of good works, as we would call them, no amount of doing things and and, and and trying to earn back the favor and the love of God will ever suffice. And that's the beauty of the gospel of grace. That's exactly what Paul was talking about in the first chapter when he says in verse 6, he was astonished that they were so quickly deserting him, Who called them in the grace of Christ. What was at stake was the gospel. The These Christians, these people so many years ago were in danger of hearing a false gospel. And entertaining it and possibly believing it. And that would be a great tragedy. The second thing that was at stake was eternal life. Eternal life. Because in the preaching of the gospel is the proclamation that you can have eternal life. Eternal life. But if you hear a false gospel and you embrace a false gospel, then you get no eternal life. But if you hear the true gospel... If these, if these Christians then and us today and people out there in the world today will hear the true message from God, the message of grace, the message of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message that we receive the benefit and the blessing of the work of the cross by faith alone, if we hear that, we can have eternal life. No joke. Eternal life. When you die, it's not the end. And you can have eternal life or you can have eternal death. And eternal death is not like it was before you were born. When you didn't exist and you didn't know that you didn't exist because you didn't exist. It's eternal death because it is a place where God's wrath is continually being poured out upon the people that are there forever that's why it's death because god is life and if you don't have a favorable relationship with your creator god then it's to be described as death the third thing that was at stake in this letter is the glory and the reputation of god and the lord jesus christ A false gospel which was, as we have learned, a false gospel of works. A false gospel of religious legalism. You know what that says to you? Listen. What that says to you is, do better and God will accept you. They were hearing that. And that message was corrupting the true vision of the glory and reputation of God and of the person and the work of Jesus Christ if you could earn your way back into the good graces of God by your personal performance, whether it was legalistic Judaism or any other kind of world religious legalism, listen, any kind of works-based, if I do this, God will love me and accept me, if that was the case, then why did Jesus die? If you could just do better then why would God send the Son and the Son go to the cross and bear the agony and the weight of the wrath of God against our sins if we could just do better and get saved and accepted? So what, what is at stake in a false gospel like this and with this letter as we've looked at was the gospel itself, the reality of eternal life, and the glory and the reputation of our God and the person of Christ. You see, Jesus came to accomplish something. Jesus came to accomplish salvation. He came to accomplish this work of redemption. This work, we call it a work of atonement. That's a word that means a covering, to make a covering for the guilty, to hide in, a shelter from the wrath of God. That's coming. It's coming. And so to preach that a person is not saved unless they become Jews through circumcision and adherence to the ceremonial law that God gave to Israel. That's what they were preaching here that Paul writes about the book of Galatians or any other kind of works based pathway and belief system would be to undermine and to diminish the work of Christ. Number four. This is the final one. What was at stake was the freedom of those Christians in those churches. (laughs) Legalism, my friends, is not freedom. It's slavery. For for you to get up every day and say, I got to do better. I got to do better. I got to do better so God will love me, so God will accept me, is a life of fear. It's fear. Why? (laughs) Why? You know why. You don't have to look into the Bible to answer that question. You know why. Because you cannot do it perfectly. You know that. So, no amount of works in your life will ever get you to the place where you say internally, I have peace now that I lay my head down on my pillow at night and I die. Or I get in a car accident or I have a stroke or I have a heart attack or whatever the case may be. I have the confidence that I've done enough good works so that he will accept me. You'll never have peace. It's slavery. It's not freedom. Freedom is the reality of knowing and being able to actually seeing amazing grace. To be able to stand there And say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Not a good person. Not a person that's done enough good works to merit and earn justification and salvation and acceptance. But amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now that's good news. And it's freedom. It's freedom. I can remember the day so well when I was in a church service like this, sitting back there about where Billy is in proportion in the the congregation. And it came to the point where the pastor was giving an invitation for people to come forward if they wanted to be saved, if they wanted to acknowledge Jesus as their Lord. If I had to describe that, I would use a couple words. One of the first words I would use. Is freedom. Freedom. Pure freedom. The burden of the weight. I knew I was ruined. And the freedom that lifted. From my heart. To know that in Jesus Christ. I am free. Free from that guilt. Free from that shame. Free from the penalty of eternal death. Free. And peace. And Joy and humility and a whole bunch of other mixtures that's hard to even hold back as I talk about it today. These Christians were in danger of becoming slaves to a legalistic pursuit of self-righteousness that they could never attain when they had complete freedom in Christ. Now, my friends, that's a good book to learn and to hide in our hearts to give us joy and joy. And peace and stability in the Christian life. Okay. If I can turn the corner now. Let me talk about this closing benediction of grace. One writer, Pastor John MacArthur. Says about this benediction. Quote. In the closing benediction. Paul makes a final declaration. Of grace over law. Faith over works. And the internal over the external. That's a good way to see it. When he says in the final sentence of his letter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. He's saying at the end of it all, it's grace that you need, not legalistic performance of the law. It's grace. It's unmerited, unearned. Listen, gift. It's a gift. Grace means it's a gift. It's a gift. So beautiful. And this is a very, very typical way for the Apostle Paul to end his his letters. He actually ends almost all of them the same way. There's some little variations to each one, but he does end them the same way. But there's something also interesting about Paul's letters. Not only do they almost always end the same way in general, with grace, a grace be with you, but he he actually starts them off the same way too think about this pattern with me grace to you and grace be with you i don't want to belabor this but turn to the book of romans with me for just a minute i probably won't do all of this just for the sake of time but let me let me let me show you enough so that you can see this pattern for yourself romans chapter one romans chapter one in romans chapter one And verse 7. In the opening greeting to the church at Rome. He comes to verse 7. And he says to all those in Rome. Who are loved by God and called to be his saints. What? Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn to Romans 16. The last chapter. Romans 16. And as the apostle ends this letter. He says in the beginning. Grace to you. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end he's going to say grace be. Guess what? Look at verse 20. Verse 20. 16 and verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Then what? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Turn the next page over. You'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. At the end of the letter, at the beginning in chapter 1, verse 3, grace to you. Chapter 16, verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I'll stop there. That's two. Listen, every single letter that Paul writes. Has that same exact pattern. Every one of them. Romans. First and second Corinthians. Galatians. Ephesians. Philippians. Colossians. First and second Thessalonians. First and second Timothy. Titus. Philemon. Every one of his letters. At the beginning. Grace to you. At the end. Grace be with you. Let me... I kind of, I'm going to borrow this a little bit from a pastor that I heard years ago talking about this pattern. I'd never had anyone pointed out to me before. But I, here's what I think that is going on. The grace of God is God acting in your life and on, be, on your behalf with favor and goodness so that you will benefit from His acting in a powerful and spiritual way. And one of the ways that God gives us in our life With one of his gracious gifts is his holy word. So when the apostle Paul inspired by God the Holy Spirit to pick up the pen and write to these various local churches. And to Titus and and to Timothy and to Philemon. It was in the letter of the apostle inspired by God the Holy Spirit as it was. As they received that, that would be grace. Grace. Grace is coming to you when you hear the revelation of God every time you open His Word. It's coming to you. Grace to you in this letter. In this letter is contained the Word of God. Grace to you. And when He gets to the end, He says, Okay, you've read the letter, you've got it. Now grace be with you. Because in order for you to understand it, in order for you to rightly and appropriately apply it, in order for you to benefit from it in a spiritual sense, you have to have grace. Grace be with you. I commend he commended them prayerfully to God in the grace of God. God, I'm praying your grace be with these believers that they not believe the false doctrines that they have heard, but that they embrace the true gospel and they embrace the true and lasting freedom that they have in Christ and that they enjoy the communion and power that you have given them in God, the Holy Spirit. Grace be with you. As we depart and leave this place even today, that should be the prayer on each and every one of our hearts that the Word of God will have its powerful and personal effect. And that will only happen by grace. Otherwise, it'll just be like pouring water through a pipe. It goes through one side and out the other. I've saw it so many times. And you think that the person is the difference. They're not. I've I've preached long enough To see one man weeping And another man going to sleep Same service Same message Same spirit Same atmosphere What's the difference? God is God is Because when God grips your heart It changes things Words take on light and heat But before We're just simply not interested well let me close this way i want to make a statement then i want to shore it up with a few texts and then we're done here's the statement very simple the christian life is all of grace it's all of grace that's why we sing amazing grace so much it's why we love to talk about grace so much because if you want to live the christian life If you want to have communion with God, if you don't want to enjoy sweet fellowship with God, if you want to have and, and enjoy that freedom, if you want to overcome sin in your life, if you want to glorify God at work, if you want to stop doing a certain sin that you are struggling with, you need grace. You need grace. And if you need grace coming from God, that means that it's not something that you can produce in and of yourself. So you need to pray and ask God for it. That's the way you receive salvation, by the way. The Christian life is all of grace. Let me read to you a quote from John Newton, the one that w- who wrote that song that we sang exactly like we did, except he didn't write that last verse, which we love, and he didn't write. John Newton was awakened, and this might give some of you some hope for people that... That maybe uh, they have a morality. Maybe they've started doing better. But it just doesn't seem like it's really clicking. The power of the spirit's just maybe not there effectually the way that you would like to see it. John Newton is a great example of how God works in our lives in waves and stages. And we have to be patient in the process. Listen to what he says. Uh, he was awakened March 21st, 1748. He was awakened on, on board the ship Greyhound during a violent storm that took place. This storm was so powerful and life threatening that God used it as an awakening for him. And listen to how he describes it, although he doesn't believe yet that he's converted fully, that he's born again. Listen to what he says. But though I cannot doubt That this change so far as it prevailed was wrought by the spirit and power of God. Yet still I was greatly deficient in many respects. I was in some degree affected with the sense of my enormous sins. But I was little aware of the innate evils of my heart. I had no apprehension of the spirituality and extent of the law of God. Or the hidden life of a Christian. As it consists in communion with God by Jesus Christ. And here's the place I want you to really pay attention for us and what we're talking about this morning. This is how he describes it. A continual dependence on him for hourly supplies of wisdom, strength, and comfort. That's not legalism. But he didn't know that yet. I'll I'll keep going. Quote, and comfort was a mystery of which I had as yet no knowledge. I acknowledged the Lord's mercy in pardoning what was past. But listen to this. This is legalism but depended chiefly upon my own resolution to do better for the time to come. I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word till a considerable time afterwards, probably about six years. What he didn't understand was the life of a Christian in freedom is to be lived by grace, which is a continual dependence on God for hourly supplies of wisdom and strength and comfort. And that list can go on and on and on and on. And what he was doing, legalistically, was depending chiefly upon his own resolution to do better for the time to come. That's why Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Don't do that latter part, but do that first part in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're saved, beloved, all of grace from start to finish. And if you don't want to turn, you don't have to. I'll read it to you. But the book of Ephesians chapter 2, if you'll just listen to, to these words. Listen to these words. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. This is Ephesians 2.1. You were dead. What can dead people do? Nothing. I'm glad you said that. Now don't confuse that later on with your human logic. And your fallen human logic at best. And your human rationale. Dead people don't do anything. <laughs> they can't. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Verse 2. In which you once walked. following the course of the world. We're all going the same direction in this life. Following the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the spirit that is at now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, caring about the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now listen to these next words. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of Jesus, and then listen to these powerful words. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's where amazing grace comes from. That's where that song comes from. Is texts like this that testify that while we were dead, corpses lying in the bottom of the ocean, God reached down in grace and lifted us out of that death and gave us life. And he does so through the preaching of the gospel accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is appropriated in my life and your life. When we believe, when we trust in Him and what He has done. Now that work, that salvation, which is all of grace, is begun by grace and will be completed by grace. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. You know it. Paul writes, and I am sure of this, that the one who begun a good work in you will perform or complete that work. At the day of Jesus Christ. Listen. What God started. He'll finish. And it's all of grace. And one of the ways that we live. The way that we live the Christian life. Is not by having a stronger resolution. To do better for the time to come. But by looking away from ourselves to God. Looking away from ourselves to God in Christ Jesus. And as we utilize the means of grace that God has revealed to us in His Word, let me give you a couple of them. God gives us the means of grace to accomplish the spiritual growth and the theological development and a life that glorifies God and a life of joy and pleasure in God. He gives us means through which, when they're utilized, that will happen. And it will happen. One of them is hard work and effort. <laughs> Hard work and effort. Philippians two twelve and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, obey, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The will and the working is God. But you still have to work with and alongside and in conjunction with him. So one of the means of grace to live the Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit in freedom is to work hard in prayer and word and other things like the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You're Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, a marvelous little text here, change your life kind of text. Listen to how he says about living the Christian life. Philippians 2:12. Therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed, that's what the one we just looked at not only in my presence, but in my absence, work out your own salvation for it is God who works in you. So who do you think is working in you? God, the Holy Spirit. So work hard and put forth effort, not trusting in yourself, but trusting in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, means of grace like the inspired word of God. Romans ten seventeen. If you're to live the Christian life by faith, where do you get your faith? How do you increase your faith? You try to say, "Okay, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe more and believe stronger and believe harder." I hope not. The way that you increase faith is when you look to God in His Word, Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word of Christ. So when you pick up the Word of God every day, it's not just so you can check it off legalistically. It's so that you can uphold your faith. Put the underpinning under your faith so that your faith can be renewed. So that your faith can be strengthened. As I read the promises in the Word of God, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit in whom I trust, by faith, my faith increases. My faith awakens afresh and anew like prayer utilizing the means of grace that God has given us in prayer. James writes in the book of James, you have not because you ask not. You're you're trusting in yourself. You don't ask. If you will ask God, if you will trust God, you can have the things that you need to live the Christian life. Like the local church. Did you know that the part of the means of grace in the Christian life to see that what he began he will finish? Is the local church? It is. Hebrews ten twenty three 23 and, uh, to 25. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. See how that works? He who promised is faithful. You do this because you're trusting in the one who is faithful to keep his end of the bargain. And his end of the bargain is to give you the will to do it and the power to live it out. But he goes on and let us, verse 24, it says Hebrews ten twenty-four, 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near the day of judgment is coming. One another in the context of a local church, discipling relationships, love for one another, Speaking the truth of God's Word in each other's lives, praying with and for each other is a means of God's amazing grace to keep you thriving as a Christian. And if you neglect the means of grace, then you're gonna, you're gonna suffer. And so that's why I end in this way. Grace be with you, beloved. You have the Word of God. You have prayer. You have one another in the local church. You have God the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Grace be with you. Utilize that means of grace that he has revealed in his word. Timothy George, another scholar, writes about this closing benediction like this. And and we're done. He's saying, he kind of summarizes what he thinks is a synopsis of Paul's ending here. Like this. Dear brothers, in writing to you in this way in the book of Galatians with that letter, I have put it all on the line. Now, you know exactly the burden of my heart. I will end the letter as I began it. Commending to you the awesome and marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing left for me to do is pray from my heart that Christ will confirm my labors among you, restoring you to the truth of the gospel and granting you the gift of perseverance and the life eternal. So may it be. Amen. The message of the book of Galatians is a message of the Christian's spiritual freedom in Christ alone and liberty from religious legalism. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful today for amazing grace. And Lord, we pray that everyone in this room would be a recipient of that grace. We pray today that you would, even now and in this moment, draw people to yourself. Help them to see the, the, the absolute ruin condition. They're coming toward that day where they will stand before you. And then I pray that you would help them to see that the only way to stand there in any kind of humble, broken confidence is if they trust in Jesus Christ to save them and to bring them into a peaceful, eternal relationship with you, their Creator. Oh God, we pray this morning that hearts would turn now, turn now to Christ, away from self-effort, away From personal performance. Away from sin. And trust in Christ alone. And Lord if we are here today. And we have experienced that that freedom. And that peace and that joy. God help us to remember it. (laughs) Help us to taste it every day. That we could have that renewal of joy and peace and freedom and comfort. That comes from Christ. That comes from being in Christ. And so we pray in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.